We'll take our text this morning from the book of Matthew. We'll look at three verses. Matthew chapter 6. We'll read verses 12 and verses 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Then verses 14 and 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The subject of forgiveness is a big subject. Many verses in God's Word speak about this topic. It's important. You know, forgiveness is at the very heart of the gospel. God's whole entire plan of redemption and salvation centers around forgiveness. God's ability and willingness to forgive us of our sins. Our ability and willingness to be forgiven and to extend forgiveness to others. It's all part of it, and it's very important. So this morning, with God's help, we'll... Consider this subject of forgiveness. We'll look at it, of course, from a biblical perspective. The word forgive means to cease to allow feelings of resentment, letting go of our right to hurt back, granting relief or pardon from a debt, to be set free or released. We like forgiveness particularly when it's extended to us. This morning, with the Lord's help, we'll approach this subject by uh, asking four questions. Who needs forgiveness and why? Who grants us or gives us this forgiveness? How do we receive forgiveness and what happens when we refuse to extend forgiveness? Dealing with the first question there, who needs it and why? You know, some people don't realize that forgiveness is needed for their souls to enter heaven. There are folks who go through life thinking they're good people. They hope maybe when Judgment Day comes, God will uh, grade on a curve and maybe their good deeds will outweigh their bad deeds. But the Word of God tells us something much different. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalmist David wasn't just speaking about himself, but this was a condition that affects the entire human race. We are born in sin and shapen in iniquity. The Bible makes that very clear. Romans 3, verses 10 and 23, tells us there's none righteous. No, not one. Verse 23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So again, there we see there's uh, no righteousness in and of ourselves. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that we are all as an unclean thing. Our own righteousness is as filthy rags. Also says that our iniquities have taken taken us away. So again, we see this is a universal problem. Forgiveness is a universal need. You know, we're all sinners by birth. We can't help that. We didn't have a choice in that matter. But at some point, people remain sinners by choice. 
Because when they reach that age of accountability and they recognize uh, that their sins have separated from the Lord, at that, uh, at that uh, time, the Lord extends an opportunity to be forgiven who grants forgiveness or forgives us or uh, gives us this type of forgiveness. You know, there's a popular idea in the culture today that uh, we have to forgive ourselves. It's no surprise in this culture where self is at the front of everything that that would be a popular idea. It's kind of like loving ourselves. Well, it's true. You know, we shouldn't let the wrongs that God has forgiven us for uh, hinder us or cause us to have a stumbling block. We shouldn't allow the enemy to discourage us over shortcomings and unintentional mistakes. But this idea that we can somehow forgive ourselves, nothing in Scripture even supports that idea. We can't pardon our own sins. Matter of fact, the Word of God says just the opposite. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved through grace, through faith in Christ. It's a gift from the Lord, not of ourselves. We don't forgive ourselves or pardon ourselves. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote these words to the church in Ephesus there. If anyone could relate to having to move on and get past the things in their past, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Think about the things he did before he was converted on that road to Damascus. He persecuted the church went around with uh, threatenings and slaughterings, imprisoned Christians, put them and consented to their very death. Imagine what the experts and the psychologists could do with Paul today. Oh boy, they would have a field day with Paul. But the fact is, you know what? Paul couldn't forgive himself of any of those things. We know the Lord forgave him, but he had a strategy for moving on. He says, forgetting those things which are behind, pressing toward the mark that was set before him. So Paul realized it was only by grace he was saved. It says, by grace I am what I am. And all those things in his past, realized he could never forgive himself. But there's this concept, that there is a principle of, of moving on in faith. When the Lord pardons us, he removes those things as far as the east or from the west. So we step out in faith and we move forward. But only the Lord can forgive us of our sins. You know, mankind can't grant us this forgiveness. There are those that will go to a priest or a rabbi or another individual and they'll confess their sins in the hopes that somehow uh, their sins will be atoned for. The Word of God tells us, 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one man and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Only Christ can forgive us of our sins. But you know the good news is Christ can do it once and for all. We don't have to keep going back and repenting over and over and seeking to be saved. The one who has the power to save us from sin can deliver us from sin and give us a life of victory. He came to save us from our sins, not in our sins, but only Christ can forgive us and give us that life of victory. How do we receive this forgiveness? Well, there's a few things we have to do. First of all, we have to acknowledge our need of forgiveness. Pretty hard to forgive somebody if they don't even realize they've done anything wrong or they fail to admit it. But again, God's Word says, all have sinned. 
So we recognize that we're sinners. The Word of God says we must confess those sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's this acknowledging and this confessing. But there's a third step we have to take, and this is probably the most important step of all. We must repent of those sins. You know, you can do those first two steps and still not be saved or forgiven. Many, again, they recognize their sinners, they confess those sins, but we must repent of our sins. Acts 3.19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. That word repentance means to forsake, to turn away from, not to do them anymore when we're saved. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Those old things are passed away. That's what repentance is, turning away from those things. I think one of the best examples, and I've shared it before, but it's the testimony of my grandpa Marvin. Told about when he was just a young man, he grew up on a farm in Mississippi. I don't know that he had a lot of Christian upbringing, but he felt like he was doing just fine. Didn't really acknowledge the Lord or think he needed the Lord. Said he could kind of paddle his own canoe. But something happened. They dropped a bomb on Pearl Harbor. And he became very frightened and afraid. And he realized uh, the whole th- whole country, the whole nation had changed. And he thought he had a possibility of being drafted into the service and giving his life on a battlefield. And in that condition, he recognized he wasn't ready to meet the Lord. And it scared him. And he went around several days on the farm there, uh, wondering about these things and talking about these things to the Lord. The fact is, he acknowledged he was a sinner. He admitted his sin. But he wasn't getting anywhere until he said one day finally, a couple days later, God said, what are you going to do about those old sins? And he said, I told the Lord at that point, I'll quit him. I'll forsake him and I won't do him anymore. And in that moment, God dropped that peace down in his heart. He was saved. He said he knew if he'd given his life the next day, he would have met the Lord in heaven. But it took that act of repentance to be saved and forgiven. It's the same today. You know, the need to be forgiven doesn't end after we're saved or after our sins have been pardoned. Certainly we know forgiveness of sin only has to happen once, but even godly, holy, sanctified Christians, your motive can be pure, your heart can be pure, but you know what? We're going to make mistakes. As human beings, sometimes we may make a bad judgment call Uh, Maybe we respond in a way that we wished we hadn't. We can make unwise decisions. And at some point, we may offend a brother or sister, whether it's intentional or unintentional. So there's always a need for us to continue to be forgiven, even as Christians. How do we continue to receive forgiveness? Well, again, God's Word is very clear. We receive it by extending it to others. Jesus, as he was telling his disciples how to pray, he said, pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If ye forgive men their trespasses, your father will forgive you. But if you forgive not, then your father won't forgive you. You know, you get what you give. If you're willing to extend forgiveness to others, the Lord will continue to extend forgiveness to you. How many times do we need to forgive somebody? 
It's probably a question many of us have asked. Have you ever had somebody ask you a question, but you knew they already had their own answer in their mind? They already determined what the answer would be? Well, Peter came to the Lord, and he asked Jesus, he says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Peter already had a number in his mind. He said, seven times. Well, that sounds pretty generous. Most of us would say, yeah, that's pretty charitable, seven times. But you know, the Lord carried it a step further. He said, not just seven times, but seven times 70. 490 times. I don't think Jesus was saying that you keep a tally sheet. And on the 491st time, you're done. That wasn't the Lord's point. It should be ongoing. It's indefinite. Any time forgiveness needs to be extended, we have to be willing to do that. How many times have others had to forgive us? I'm sure my wife has had to forgive me at least 490 times, but she continues to do so. But it's a principle. Forgiveness is ongoing. We forgive as Christ forgives. Whose responsibility is it to forgive? Whose responsibility is it to apologize or to make that first move toward reconciliation? You know, people would probably say, well, that depends upon your circumstances. But we want to know what God's Word says about it. We'd rather have God's Word on that than man's opinion. So we could read here Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. Excuse me. Matthew 6, excuse me. I'm sorry, no, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Forgive me, please. <laughs> says, anyway, I'm going to have to quote it verbatim here or by heart. It's that verse that says, If ye bring your gift to the altar and you realize that your brother hath ought against you, it says, First, leave your gift, go to your brother and be reconciled, and then come back and offer your gift. The Lord was saying here, if you're the one that's offended somebody, if you know your actions have hurt somebody or caused them to be offended, you take the initiative to go to that individual. Say you're sorry. Try to make it right. Reconcile. Then come back and offer your gift, and then the Lord will hear you. We can understand that. If we're the offender, it's our responsibility to try to make that offense right. But then the Lord gives us another set of instructions. Matthew chapter 8. Verse 15 says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. It says if our brother trespasses against us, he's the one that's at fault. He's the one that offended us. He's the one whose actions hurt and offended us. You know, of course, the natural response would be, I'll wait till he comes to me. He owes me an apology. And when he's good and ready to apologize, then and only then I'll forgive him. That's the human reaction. But God's word says, if he has something against us, we go to him. Same way, we try to reconcile and make it right. And it says, if you do that, uh, you've gained your brother. 
The fact is, whether we are the offender or the offended, God says the initiative to reconcile is always up to us. And this is how Christ forgave us. Who made the first move in our reconciliation with God? It certainly wasn't us. When we were running the other way, when we were resisting God's spirit and his love and his grace, he pursued after us. He called after us. When we rejected him, the Lord came looking for us in an effort to forgive us and to reconcile us, even when we were at fault. We want to forgive the same way. We can't do this in our own strength, obviously, but God's commandments are the same. We want to forgive, whether we're the offender or the offended. We have to take the initiative to pursue reconciliation. You know, there's some misconceptions about forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that trust is automatically restored. Forgiveness is a gift that's freely given, but trust is a privilege that's earned over time. You don't have to earn a gift. Forgiveness is something we give freely, but trust is something that's earned. You know, just because a person says they're sorry and you forgive them, uh, they may have a proven track record. They might be a repeat offender. You know, somebody constantly stomps on your feet every time you see them. You're going to put some distance between you and that person. You might set up some parameters or some boundaries. Doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them. And forgiveness, of course, always leaves the door open and, and allows them to work their way toward regaining that trust. But forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean trust is automatically restored. Forgiveness is not a removal of consequences. You know, forgiveness doesn't mean that person is off the hook. It just means they're off of our hook. You know, the offender still may have consequences to face because of their actions. It's just that we we relinquish our desire to make them pay. That's what forgiveness is. Restitution is very important when a person is forgiven. They have to go back and make an effort to make those things right, face the consequences for what they've done, but we don't determine what those consequences are. We also know, Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So we leave those things in God's hands. Forgiveness isn't gleefully waiting for the God to get him back. That's not what forgiveness is. And you know, when that day of recompense does come, we pray that God will be merciful to them. That's the attitude and heart of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a long, drawn-out process. I've heard of people that say, well, I'm working toward forgiveness. Forgiveness happens in a moment. Forgiveness is a choice that happens in a moment, in an instant. The process that follows may be very long and drawn out, especially when there's restoration or reconciliation involved. Those things take time, but the decision to forgive is instant. Aren't you thankful that Christ's forgiveness of us, it wasn't a long, drawn-out process? It may have taken us a while to get there to recognize our sin and to be willing to repent and pray an honest prayer, But I'll never forget, nor will you, the moment we prayed that honest prayer from the depth of our heart, the Lord saved us and he forgave us in a moment of time. It didn't take weeks or days or months. We want our forgiveness of others uh, to be the same. 
Can you forgive somebody who never seeks forgiveness? What about those who will never admit they're wrong? And maybe they continue to offend. Maybe they continue to hurt you. They show no signs of remorse or repentance, no acknowledging of any wrongdoing. Is it possible to forgive somebody like that? Well, we can follow Christ's example. Jesus, we can pray for that same spirit of forgiveness that Christ had. You think about that prayer the Lord prayed on that cross as he was giving his very life. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was praying for those that would never repent. Those that would never be sorry. The very ones that spit in his face pulled that hair out of his beard and hung him on that cross. He was praying for them, extending that offer of forgiveness. If you think you have something tough to forgive, remember what Christ forgave. And we can pray for a spirit of forgiveness. You know, the Lord will deal with that individual who refuses to repent. But we want to make sure our hearts are clear before the Lord. There are times when you may feel like it's humanly impossible to forgive. And I have no doubt there are probably people here in circumstances that have been hurt way beyond anything we could understand. And I don't minimize that at all, but I do believe if we supply the willingness to be obedient to God's word, God will give you the grace and the strength to forgive as he would have you to forgive. What happens when we refuse to forgive? Well, some terrible things can happen and will happen when we refuse to forgive. One of those things is that your prayers will be hindered. Mark eleven twenty five says, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. When you stand praying, forgive. When you're praying and the Lord brings something to your mind, forgive. You need to do that or your prayers won't be answered. The last place we ever want to find ourselves is in a situation where we're desperate to get a prayer through and we can't because we're harboring something in our hearts. God help us, we need to forgive. I thought of a story Brother Randy Castle told a few years ago. Told about a man in Newfoundland there who had fallen and broken his arm and they didn't have access to any medical facilities or clinics. They were out in a rural area and the man was in terrible pain. So finally he called the saints of the church to come out and pray for him. What made this man's situation even more desperate is he only had one arm. He had lost his other arm years ago in a logging accident. So you can imagine the condition this man was in. Horrible pain. The saints came out and began to pray for him. Nothing happened. It's like the prayers, like the heavens were brass. Finally, after several minutes, this man got up. And he walked across the living room. He went to one of those sisters that came out to pray for him. And he said, I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me. He says, there's been something I've been harboring against you for years. Please forgive me. And of course, she didn't even realize what it was, but she forgave him freely. I tell you, the Spirit of the Lord came down in that place. God touched that man. There were wonderful victories won, but he had to get that hindrance out of the way. We need to remove those things. That uh, Unforgiveness is the greatest obstacle to getting our prayers through. You know, an unforgiving spirit will one day result in us standing before the Lord in an unforgiven condition. That's a terrible price to pay. 
God's word warns us. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness has been compared to a lot of things. Someone said bitterness is like taking rat poison and hoping that rat will die. So I'm going to do anything that rat. That rat's running around enjoying life. But the one who harbors bitterness, it's destroying them. You know, if you're holding offenses against a person, you may even think of them as a rat. I don't know. But if you're harboring that bitterness and resentment, you're going to be damaged. That person could go on not even realizing they've done anything wrong. Somebody said bitterness is like cancer. I think that's a good comparison. It's something that starts on the inside. And it can start out small, often it can be uh, almost undetected. But if it continues to grow, it starts to spread. And it works its way out, and eventually it destroys everything else around it. That's a good picture of what bitterness will do. Doctors say uh, the cure, the key in treating cancer, being able to uh, cure it is an early detection. The earlier you can spot a problem, you can address that problem, and uh, most likely you can take care of it before it gets out of hand. It's the same thing with bitterness. If God has showed you in your heart, even if it's just a little attitude that's beginning to develop, a little resentment, get that thing taken care of. Get it under the blood of Jesus. Let God take it. You know, we want to kill it at the root before it has a chance to spring up. Once it does, it defiles everything around us. So we want to make sure that we have that spirit of forgiveness. You know, the cost for bitterness far exceeds the cost of forgiveness. One will destroy us. The other will set us free. Forgiveness is always the best choice. What it purchases for us far away is anything it may cost us to forgive. And we know what forgiveness can do for us. Forgiveness removes those old obstacles that may be in the way. And it allows our prayers to be unhindered in the Spirit of God to flow in our hearts and towards others. Forgiveness will reopen those lines of communication between us and the Lord. Forgiveness will give us peace between God and our fellow man. It says that we can have a conscience void of offense between God and man. That's what forgiveness will do. Forgiveness leads to reconciliation. Reconciliation leads to revival. We all want revival. I think about that account in Acts on the day of Pentecost. It says that that 120, they were all in one accord and in one place. All of those little disagreements, all of those petty arguments about who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven and all of the differences, all of those things were set aside. I believe those first 10 days, probably some reconciliation was taking place. But when they got to that point, they were all in one accord. The Spirit of the Lord fell. God filled that group of 120, filled them with the Holy Spirit, empowered them to go and serve the Lord. God can do that. But we want to make sure we're not the thing that holds that back. If there's any unforgiveness, God can help us today. Most important of all, one day we'll be able to stand before the Lord forgiven. That's what we want. 
We want our hearts clear and open before the Lord. God can help you this morning. If you're here and you're not saved, maybe you've never had your sins forgiven. Confess, acknowledge, and repent. God will save you. Maybe your prayers have been hindered. Maybe the Lord has spoken to you even this morning. I tell you, don't waste any time. Go to that brother or sister. Do it today. Get that thing taken care of so the Spirit of the Lord can continue to work. God will bless you as you make that effort toward forgiveness. Let's sing 343, These Altars Are Open.